Now let's read together Romans 8, 1 through 4. What if you have a device of your own or the, the Bible in front of you on the pew? Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You feel triumphant? Welcome to eight. I thought this was really clever. Um, this is a series about Romans 8, and it's a Roman numeral 8. Get it? Romans 8. I mean, that's way cooler than if I just put Romans 8 up on the screen. So, y'all can thank me for that later. Um, we, uh, we're going to look at this one chapter and this one letter that's contained in the New Testament. It's uh, not just any chapter, though. Scholars have called it... Uh, you know, one of Paul's greatest works uh, in one of his greatest letters, that this is some of the most profound Christian writing in history, by Paul's standard and by anyone's standard. Uh, if you just Google or, you know, YouTube search for Romans 8, it will pull up endless stuff that scholars and teachers and preachers have delved into because it's that central of a chapter in our faith because what it talks about is so fundamental to our faith. And, and so we're going to look at it over the next few weeks and just kind of a little bit at a time. And what I'm hoping is that we will begin to uh, sort of excavate some of the fundamentals of our faith that maybe have gotten forgotten or misunderstood. Uh, see, all those things that you'll pull up about Romans 8 Sometimes, uh, you know, it contains very popular verses that are often also taken out of context or uh, things that maybe at first glance are hard to understand. And so we just assume that they mean what we assume that they mean based on how we grew up and what we were you know, taught when we grew up or whatever the case is. And sometimes it's just good to go back to scripture and take one thing at a time and say, what did this mean? What was Paul trying to say to the people he was writing to in his day. And what does that mean for us in our day? And that's what we're going to try and do. And in our, our memory verse, you know, we chose it for a reason because, uh, like a lot of our memory verses lately, it just sets things out so plainly. That there is a way that leads to death and that there's a way that leads to life and peace. And so as we pursue these fundamentals of our faith, our hope is that we'll discover more and deeper the way to life and peace. Sound good? Anyone not want life and peace? All right. You know, there's uh, the, the Christian experience, the common Christian experience, 
in our culture, I'm not sure that we would best define it as life and peace. I'm not sure, certainly today's sermon title, Freedom. You know, it's a freedom is, is a word that's used a lot in the New Testament, but I'm not sure that Christians look very free or feel very free in our day. You know, a lot of people are like a guy named Steve who he's at the altar every week. And, and again and again because he can't quite get it right and he feels this guilt all the time. Now, other people look at his life and think, man, that guy is about as perfect a Christian as you can get. But on the inside, he's weighed down by guilt and shame for what he can't measure up to. And maybe he had parents that he could never please or something and he envisions God that way. I don't know. But for whatever reason, that's where he's at. And then a lot of us can identify with that. We've either sort of been that person at some point or maybe that's where we're at now. A lot of us also could identify if we would have the humility to do so with, with Sue who's so righteous and she knows it, right? And, and she lets everyone else know it by the way she looks at them when they're not doing quite right. And some of us might be that person but we probably wouldn't admit it. But probably most of us are kind of like Jane who feels like her faith is a little bipolar. Like one week she shows up to church and it's about freedom and it's about grace and it's about assurance and, and she leaves feeling good and encouraged. And then the next week the preacher's talking about sin and how every time she messes up it's like she's crucifying Christ all over again and she leaves feeling guilty and burdened with shame. And it's like which one is it? What is our faith? Well, we can probably all identify with most of that to some degree, or at least we know people who have felt that way, or um, at some point in our life we've dealt with that. But one thing we can say for sure is that if this verse is true, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then none of those patterns represent true Christian faith. None of those feelings that Christians in our day and time tend to deal with, of guilt and shame and, or, or self-righteousness, and being, having a condemning attitude, or of just this back and forth between, oh, I'm covered by grace, and oh, I'm burdened by sin. None of that adds up when you read this sentence. And so we know that something must be amiss. Something's got to be wrong. For the common Christian experience to not be something that looks free or full of life and joy and peace. I don't know what your experience is, but if it's less than life and peace, if it's less than freedom, then I hope you'll stick with us today as we explore this passage. I'm going to be using on my slides a different version than I usually do. I usually stick with NIV because that's what's in our um, seats. But uh, for this series we're going to use the New American Standard which is just kind of for, for what we're going to be doing is a little more helpful I find in that it's more of a literal word for word kind of translation. When you're really digging in deep and trying to figure out exactly what they were saying sometimes it's helpful uh, to have 
a more literal translation. And so uh, that's what we're going to be working off of during our sermons. But um, for our readings and stuff, you can still use the Bible there. That's fine. So I mentioned that in case if you want to follow along on a device or something, or you have a New American Standard, that's where I'm at. So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's quite a statement, isn't it? When I was a kid, I remember hearing a sermon about this, and I really didn't get it. Um, I think partly I, was, I didn't really understand like the, the courtroom sense that a judge is passing a verdict, and, and for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You're not found guilty. I don't think I really understood even what that meant. I'm not sure I really had a, a concept of it. And, and the older I've grown, the more I've studied it, the more I've discovered about this one little sentence that makes it quite profound. And uh, sometimes I think that Christians throw this around as an assurance to ourselves and to others that uh, we really seize on the, there is now no condemnation part. We like that. And we don't really bother to spend much time looking at the therefore in the sentence or at the for those who are in Christ Jesus part of the sentence. Which seems like those would be things worth looking into with a claim that big, right? I mean, it's not like there's fine print here or this is a gimmick, you know. Uh, now, no condemnation if you use it within the first six months. You know, if you send in your receipt within a week of purchase. Uh, you know, we're used to fine print and stuff, and a statement like this sounds like it's begging for it, but there's no fine print. It's right there in the main print. It's just that we like to ignore the main print and just fixate on that. We assume that we are in Christ Jesus and that we know what that means. We don't really bother with words like therefore because what's it even there for? Right? Like, who cares about that? Let's get on to the meat of the sentence. So let's just take a few minutes and look at both of these, because I think they're really significant in understanding this whole chapter and certainly this first part. And I think that they're really essential to discovering a life in Christ that actually does have a sense of freedom to it and that has life and peace. Whenever you see the word therefore, of course it means that there's something before that it's referencing, right? And in this case, chapter 7 just left off talking about the problem of living under the law. Talking about the law of God, the law of Moses, if you want to call it, the Ten Commandments and all that jazz. The Ten Commandments and all the other rules that went along with it. And then all the rules that they made up to follow the rules. Like you had rules to follow the rules. And the reason was that under the system of the law, you had to behave in certain ways or else you were guilty. And then you offered, you know, God offered this way of offering animal sacrifices as a way to make atonement for that. And yet it was this continual cycle that you were in of trying to behave well enough, failing to behave well enough, and then having to do something to try and cover over it because you just couldn't get it together. And it was a very frustrating exercise that a lot of us can, can identify with. Because a lot of Christians today still live under that system with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. 
Here's a couple of verses from the end of chapter 7, right before Paul went into uh, that therefore. It says, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Can anyone identify with that feeling? I can identify with that feeling. It's like you want to do what's right, and yet sometimes you just can't seem to make yourself do it. Sometimes yourself just wants to do what it wants to do, and sometimes yourself, that part of yourself, wins. And it's a very frustrating feeling to feel trapped, like you're not even in control. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? From this body of death. Like you feel trapped in this body. Like your spirit longs to do what's right, and yet your body continues to fail you miserably. And it's a wretched sort of feeling. A very frustrating sort of feeling. And that's what it feels like to be under the old law. The law of God. The law of Moses. But Paul says at the end of that passage, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, who will save me from this body of death? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that will save me from this vicious cycle that I keep staying in where I feel so wretched and I can't do what I want to do. And So there is a better way. And then, therefore... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, this statement that there's now no condemnation comes in light of the fact that we have experienced this cycle of not being able to measure up, to do good enough, to behave well enough, that even though our intentions are good, our body is unfaithful. That we try and we fail over and over again and so we continue in sin and we become increasingly aware of our sin and we experience the guilt and shame that come along with that but there's a better way there's a new way who will save me from this vicious cycle who will save me from this terrible existence it's Jesus it's God through Jesus And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to get to that. But here's what we know. That if you're in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. There's a, new, there's a new way. There's a new system. There's a new law in town. There's a new sheriff, right? So, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're no longer under the old system. We're going to talk about that in more detail in a minute. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Romans 8, 3 through 4 kind of describes it. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin. 
He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then here's how it describes us who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So those who are in Christ Jesus are those who walk according to the Spirit. Jesus actually talked about this, and we studied it not very long ago in our series that led up to Easter, the Before I Go series, where Jesus had all these final things he wanted to impart to his disciples before he would leave them without his physical presence. And he had talked about how he wanted them to follow his commands, to love each other, and that in this way they would be in him and he would be in them just as he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And we know that Jesus was in the Father and the Father was in him because he did the Father's will. He did this Father's will even when uh, he didn't want to in his flesh. When he, when he didn't want to go to the cross and he begged for another way and yet he still went forward. He stayed in his Father and the Father in him. And so we who are in Christ Jesus are those who stay in him, that stay committed to his way, to his path, even when our bodies don't want to because we're being led by the Spirit and we're being helped by the Spirit. So those who are in Christ Jesus are those who are being led by the Spirit in the Jesus way. They're becoming someone different. They're becoming something different. I want to describe this for you. I'm trying to make sense of it in my head this, you know, as I studied for this and I'm trying to figure out how to make sense of it for your, in, in your minds as well. And The typical way that Scripture talks about this is that there was an old covenant and then Jesus brought a new covenant. That the old covenant had to do with you know, like what we just described. That you follow the law, you follow the rules, you don't break the commands, and then you are right with God. Uh, the only problem being that we fail at that utterly and completely. And so we're not right with God. And so then, you know, in the old system you offered sacrifices and all that kind of thing. And when Jesus came, he said, uh, he kept saying things that undermined the law. And people began to wonder if he thought the law was bad. And he said, no, I didn't come to get rid of the law or to say that it was bad or evil. I came to fulfill it, as in to complete that covenant. And so he lived out the law. He lived the life that we couldn't live. And then was offered as a sacrifice, a final sacrifice, completing that covenant. This is what the New Testament teaches. It's what Jesus himself taught. And instead, in its place, he set up a new covenant. This is what he said to his disciples. When he took the bread and the cup, he said, this cup, this blood spilled for us is the new covenant which is poured out for you. He said he came to bring a new covenant. In our circles after church, we'll look at Hebrews 10, if I remember right. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about this idea of the old covenant being replaced by a new covenant. And it's really deep stuff and hard for us to wrap our brains around. And we're not used to talking about covenants. And so one way I think was helpful for me, I don't know, maybe it'll be helpful for one or two of you if your brains are weird like mine, is to think of it as legal systems. 
So like in America, we have a legal system. There's laws and then there's consequences for the laws, right? Um, there's a process that you go through if you are accused of breaking the law and so forth. And, you know, it, we all know that it's corrupt in places and it has its problems and we complain about it a lot and yet most of us would also say that it's probably still yet the best system in the world that we're aware of. Best system in history, probably. Okay. Well, there's other legal systems, right? Every country has its own legal system. Uh, we're also familiar in the, um, in the news lately with, like, the... Some, some Muslims use the Sharia law, right? Which has its own set of rules and consequences. And, uh, you know, it seems barbaric to a lot of us who are used to the American legal system to be talking about, you know, stoning people and beating people and uh, cutting off limbs or whatever, you know, all the crazy stuff that goes along with that sometimes. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're well aware of legal systems and the fact that they differ from one place to the other. And, and hey, we live in Louisiana where it's like half French, half American, right? So we get it. It's, there's different legal systems. They work different ways. All right. Well, Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. It was different from the other kingdoms. He came to bring a new covenant that was different than the old covenant, the old legal system. So under the old legal system, God said, here's the rules and here's what happens if you break them. And sometimes that did involve stoning by the community. Sometimes, and you read the Old Testament, he struck people dead. Like, that one went straight to the king. He said, <laughs> you're done. Right? So there was a legal system there in place. And, and then there was the whole system of atoning for wrongs done. So that everyone didn't have to die. You could just offer animal sacrifices instead. Well, Jesus came and he said, I'm bringing a new legal system. Some of the laws that were in the Old Testament seem to be suddenly de-emphasized in Christ Jesus. Things like, you know, what you do with your hair or, you know, how many steps you take on Sunday or whatever, you know, uh, what, which kind of food you eat. Others of them seem to be almost ramped up like, you know, you thought it was just don't murder somebody, but no, it's like don't even think angry thoughts about them. And so he, he tweaked the law, but he also changed the system. That There's no longer the same measurement. That instead of a system where you have to behave a certain way, and then if you don't behave a certain way, there's going to be these consequences for it. It was a whole new system. And under the new system, it was, you're going to become a different person. Instead of measuring like every behavior, he's saying, who are you becoming? Are you being led by my spirit into a new way of life? Or not? And if you are being led by the spirit then you'll find life. You'll find peace, right? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the nature of his legal system. Are you walking by the spirit? Are you pursuing his way of life with his help? If so, then there is now no condemnation 
for you. Period. No need to offer animal sacrifices. No need to feel guilty all the time. No need to walk around with a burden of shame all the time. If you're in the new system instead of the old system, there's no condemnation. This is pretty amazing teaching to tell someone that no matter what, if they're pursuing the Jesus way by the help of the Holy Spirit, there is no condemnation. Period. Like, even if I messed up bad while I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit, right. If you are being led by the Spirit, if you're pursuing the Jesus way of life, there is now no condemnation. Well, what about all the stuff in my past? Yeah, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. Well, what about the stuff I'm doing wrong that I don't even know I'm doing wrong, but I'm going to find out later that I'm doing it wrong? Yeah, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And this is pretty, uh, not everyone's comfortable with this. In fact, Paul got criticized for this, right? That he was being too light on sin by telling people there's no more condemnation. They're free from the law and they're free from sin. Like, oh, Paul, that won't work. <laughs> if you tell people that they're free from the law, whew, Katie, bar the door. People are going to be sinning everywhere. It's just going to be a disaster. But he said, no, this is the truth. That Jesus came to do away with the old legal system and to institute a new legal system. And that his new legal system is not about your behavior, but about who you're becoming. This is on your note card today if you want to fill it out. We believe that our verdict, as in the verdict when we stand before the throne in the end, no longer depends on how we're behaving, but on who we're becoming. In other words, your behavior is never going to earn you a, no, a not guilty verdict. Period. But if you're becoming who God intended for you to be before sin corrupted you, if you're partnering with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit into this new way of life, then your verdict is yes. Your verdict is innocent. Your verdict is come in. You are not condemned. And you're guaranteed of this in advance. And that's pretty amazing. When you work, when you work under a legal system that's all based on your behavior, like if you do this and this and this and don't do this, this and that, then you'll be right with God. When you operate under that, it's always a stuff you have to do. When you're becoming someone new in Christ, then those things become something you get to do. That you're freed to do. That you're no longer bound by this legal system that says, you have to do this and you can't do this. And da 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 Like this, all the cans and can'ts. But at the same time, you're freed from sin. Your slavery to sin that led you to constant frustration that you couldn't do 
what you wanted to do. Because now by the Holy Spirit's help, you're making progress on that front. You're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, as we'll look at next week. Next week we're going to look more into the, you know, how does this work, this being led by the Spirit thing? Like, how do we actually do this? For today, I just want to focus on what it means, what are the implications of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you're pursuing this Jesus way of life, if you're being led by the Spirit instead of being led by the things of this world, if you're trying your best to partner with Him and to live His way of life, that there's no condemnation. That instead of being constantly worried about your behavior, you can just focus on becoming the kind of person that behaves. <laughs> and that is, if you, can, if you can embrace this, it is a very freeing thing. There is a lot of peace in it. The problem is that so many of us, we keep defaulting back to the old system. And we don't recognize the power and help that's available to us in the new system. And so we end up with sort of like a watered-down version of Judaism, where we're still trying to follow the law in our own power. And we get frustrated when we don't. In the Spirit, we're no longer slaves to the system of law, trying to do enough right deeds. In the Spirit, we're no longer slaves to sin, unavoidably satisfying desires of flesh as they clamor for attention. We're free to become the people God created us to be. We're free from the corruption of sin. So I want to talk for a moment just about what this means for you in your personal life. Like, if you've decided to follow Jesus... That it was more than just a prayer that you prayed to try to get out of hell and into heaven someday. But you really want to follow Jesus. And you believe His way of life is the best way of life. And you believe that His Spirit is available to help you live that life. If that's where you're at, or at least where you want to be at today, then let me explain to you just what it means, practically speaking, for your conscience, for your understanding of your standing before God. That there is no condemnation, that you are free in Christ. First, it means that you don't retain guilt for your past. All the things that you did before, all the things before you came to Christ Jesus or before you got serious about your faith, you know, most of us at some point in our lives go through at least a season where we didn't really care much about living God's way, that we were a bit of a rebel. Your rebel may not look like his rebel or my rebel, you know, moments. And yet, in our own ways, we've all been there. We've all had a season where we weren't overly concerned about sin, or at least in some aspect of our life. When we're being led by the Spirit, when we're in Christ Jesus, there's no more guilt. We don't retain the guilt for that. It's covered by His blood. 
Period. There's no condemnation. When we're in Christ Jesus, being led by His Spirit, we don't retain guilt for our setbacks. Becoming someone new is a process. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, maybe you, like me, have been in a battle with some sin in your life and you get so frustrated by it and you feel so guilty and demoralized every time you have a setback that it gets to the point where you're just sick of it and a lot of people they end up throwing in the towel and just like forget it and pretty soon they're, they've given into this habit and they've either decided that God's okay with it, like that some people excuse it away that way. They come up with you know, a teacher that'll tell them it's okay. They write it off that way. Or they just kind of abandon their faith and their conscience becomes numb to it. They don't care about sin anymore. The stronger handful of us just suffer the guilt for the rest of our life. We don't retain guilt for our setbacks. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The idea here is that when you fail, fail forward. Maybe you've heard that phrase before in a different context, but our failures can still yet be opportunities for God to work in our life and continue pointing us in the right direction. My question for you is, are you failing and just throwing up your hands like, yep, that's, that's just how it is? Or are you failing forward? Do you pick yourself back up? Do you pick up your sword and your shield and get back to battle? You might have lost that battle, but are you still trying to win the war? Is this making sense? There's a difference between a setback and a turn back, right? You can, you can have a setback and then get back up, dust yourself off, keep going. And then there's a turn back where you're just like, eh, forget it. Can't beat it anyway. One of the great themes of Scripture, those who are being led by Christ Jesus as we get further down this chapter, are those who endure, persevere, press on, Press the fight. Don't give up. And so even in our setbacks, we don't retain the guilt for that. We, we don't, it's not that we take sin lightly. By no means. We're in, we're in an all-out battle against sin. But we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, we don't sit there and wallow in shame and self-pity and remorse and guilt and for ages. We confess what we did, we repent again, we head back the right way, we head back into the fight. And we may fall again, but we're going to keep failing forward. We're going to keep on pressing the fight. We're going to keep on. And we don't retain the guilt for those setbacks along the way. And one more thing. We don't retain the guilt for what we hadn't yet become. I wasn't sure how to word this or describe this, but you know how like probably it, as you started out in your faith, uh, there were things that you were doing that you didn't even realize were wrong. And then now like you don't do those things anymore. You've recognized that they're wrong. 
Has that ever happened to you? Like, I don't know, I've, there's several areas of my life where I've grown, grown in this way. I mean, things like in my giving, you know, what I thought was giving and then, and, and, you know, trying to practice it this way. Well, then I found out, well, that's just really not quite right. And so your faith grows as you grow older. There's things that maybe, you know, you thought in your relationship life as a young adult that, you know, you thought was fine. That's what everybody else was doing. And later you realize it's really not fine. Again, when we're being led by the Spirit, we're being led into a greater understanding as part of that, of what it means to follow Jesus. And there's no guilt. You don't retain guilt for what you were doing that you didn't even realize you were doing. Does that make sense too? So like at some point, you're going to come up against something and you're like, wow, this needs to change in my life and I never knew that it needed to change. All this time I've been following Jesus and now the Holy Spirit is showing me this needs to go. You don't retain guilt for that either. You just step into that new fight. And you'll have some setbacks probably in that fight. But you keep on pressing on. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is it good? I hope that you find that it's good. Because what this does is it takes you from a place of wondering, can I do it? To starting to wonder, can he do it? From, can I live this life? Am I strong enough to become the kind of person to behave in all the ways I'm supposed to behave? And instead you begin to ask, can he change me into the person that he wants me to be? And the answer to that is always yes. Stick with him. Friend, there's no other way to follow Jesus than this. This is the gospel. You can't stay in legalism and be following Jesus. You can't stay under the old system of the law and be following Jesus. It's not following Jesus. And you're never going to be good enough. Come out of legalism. And come out of sin. And come in to life and peace. To a better way. By the help of the Spirit. This is why Jesus lived, died, and rose again. So that you could find a better way. So that you could find life and peace. Like I say, next week we're going to explore more what it means and looks like to walk in the Spirit. To partner with the Spirit in this life. But for today, I just want you to grasp the fact that if you're pursuing the Jesus way, there is no condemnation. And if you're struggling with guilt today and you walk in here for whatever, something you did in your past, something you're struggling with right now, something that you're coming to realize was wrong that you've been doing that you didn't really realize was wrong, whatever the case is, if you're struggling with guilt and shame, find the freedom 
in accepting what the gospel offers you. That there's no condemnation. It's been covered by his blood. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your better way of life, for the new covenant we step into when we step into faith in Christ. God, it's hard for us sometimes to understand the new system that Jesus ushered in. Holy Spirit, teach us what it is to live and to walk in freedom into life and peace. Teach us to walk in step with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.